Well, we've lit another candle. We are steadily marching through the season of Advent. Rich, prophetic passages from Isaiah remind us that all is not as it will ever be. Hallelujah. We've heard a camel hair-clad cricket snacking voice in the wilderness crying, make straight pathways for the Lord. And we're reminded that the pathways that perhaps need the most straightening are maybe the ones to our very own hearts. Yes, Advent is a rich tapestry on which to contemplate the coming of our King, the first coming of our King, and of his eventual second coming in glory. But let us not lose sight this morning of a Jesus who, even at this very moment, stands at the door of our hearts and knocks, longing to come in and eat with us, and we with him. This morning in the church calendar is traditionally known as Go to Te Sunday, for all of you Latin speakers out there. Um, rejoice is the Latin word, Go to Te. And it's taken from our Thessalonians reading, Rejoice Always. We light this pink candle to mark the halfway point of a, a penitential season, a season of reflection, of seriousness and darkness. But I want to look this morning at some of the reasons, of course, for our joy. If Christ came, if he is now here, what are the ramifications for those of us who put our trust in him? I don't think we'll be trudging new ground this morning. I think most of this will come by way of reminder, but I think it's good to do that every now and again. Uh, in fine sermonic fashion, let's look at three ways in which the trust, our trust in Christ and his coming, even now, frees us. It frees us from denial, it frees us from despair, and we are, as a result of his coming, free to decrease. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I thought... One of the cleverest sayings was, you're in denial, and I don't mean the river. And uh, <laughs> the curse of the dad joke started early with me. Um, before we dive in, though, can we take a moment and pray? Father, we are desperately in need of you. Your word is a light into our feet and a lamp into our path. Lord, I am aware acutely for myself just of the encroaching thoughts and plans and, and preparations that are being made for this coming celebration. But Lord, right now, would you send your spirit? Would you calm our hearts? Would you plant your word deeply into our hearts that we may know and love you? In Jesus' name, amen. So Isaiah begins our passage this morning. He says, for behold, quoting the Lord, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. The program of God's renewal and his restoration is all-encompassing. It includes nothing short of the entirety of creation, a new heavens and a new earth. It's not unlike when the word was spoken forth in the very beginning, by which all things were created, and without him not anything was made that was made. So the expansiveness of this renovation, its breadth and its depth, is so comprehensive that even shadows of brokenness and pain and weakness and sin, what Isaiah refers to as the former things, will not even be remembered 
in the new age. It's poetic language, of course. It's not literally a statement on whether or not we'll remember the pain of this life in that new age, but it is rather a statement of the magnitude and the scope and the extent to which we will experience his glorious redemption and restoration. I think of a good remodeler like Seth in our congregation. Uh, Seth did some work on my uh, previous home. And when, when, when a good remodeler is finished with a project, the result is so stunning that it's hard to imagine what that thing even looked like before they set their hand to it. It's like it, it always should have been that way. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for that work in my life, in my heart, and in this world. But in the meantime, in this present age, out of sight and out of mind is very much where we would prefer to keep brokenness, pain, and weakness, especially our sin. We're experts, right, at downplaying the seriousness of our sin. Sure, I struggle with this sin or that sin, but at least I haven't murdered someone. <laughs> As if that were like the ultimate litmus test for our goodness. I wouldn't get so angry if my job wasn't so stressful or if my kids were more well-behaved. I don't have to complain about that. My kids are perfect angels. <laughs> or whatever the excuse might be. If only I had his or her job, then I could afford to, to do this or to do that or to go on this vacation or to purchase that thing. Or perhaps it's substances that we rely on just to take the edge off. Or an evening of doom scrolling on our devices, perhaps, just to name a few. Of course, the, the deep needs and brokenness in our families can be truly overwhelming. Concerns over aging parents or trouble with wayward children or a serious health diagnosis or financial worry, it can be so much easier to put these things on the back burner until, of course, they boil over and demand our attention. Perhaps it's brokenness in the church that we would rather not dwell on. Maybe there was a leader who abused their authority and wounded us deeply. Or congregations that maybe have lacked compassion or nurturing or nuance. Believers in Jesus who didn't very much resemble him. And we can expand it further into our society. How do we even begin to wrap our minds around the wars and the homelessness and the economic injustice and the racial tension and the political partisanship that our society is racked with. We're, we long for eternity. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray at our dinner time as we light the candles around the Advent wreath. But instead of downplaying and avoiding, what if we were to face the brokenness head on, both around us in creation and within, and name it with brutal honesty and transparency and truthfulness, and invite the Spirit of Christ into those very places to begin the eternal life of God even now. Our psalmist says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. The Negev, of course, it's a dry, rocky desert region in the south of Judah, devoid of life. Perhaps the psalmist this morning is inviting us to acknowledge our brokenness to name the lifeless desert place in our own hearts, to render tears that will carve from the earth furrows that the living water of the Spirit can yield a fruit of joy. 
the place of brokenness, of intense pain, of your most secret recurring sin is not your disqualification. It is the very place that Emmanuel, God with us, came to attend to. Jesus said in Mark's gospel, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. We need not be ashamed of that fact. If, in fact, God's restorative project includes everything, the heavens and the earth, then the confession of our every sin and our every brokenness is the fertile soil for his kingdom, a kingdom that will have no end. It's one of the great treasures of the daily office of morning and evening prayer. The church has seen fit to schedule at least two structured opportunities each day to confess our sin and brokenness because we need to. We host it here on a weekly basis at 7 o'clock on Wednesday morning, 7 p.m. Wednesday night. You can pray it alone in your home. Of course, you don't pray it actually alone. You pray it with the, the church universal. But there is a richness in praying it with next to people, on your knees, hearing out loud in your ears the assurance of God's free gift of salvation and the provision of a quiet mind in which to love and serve him. We don't have to manufacture that quiet mind with denial, with hiding our shame and our brokenness and ignoring our plight. God gives it to us freely. And so, point two, we are freed from our despair this morning. Isaiah continues. He says, remember, for behold, I create heaven, a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and for her people to be a gladness. Are there any pragmatists in the room this morning? I tend towards pragmatism often. Sometimes pragmatism is really helpful, like when you're problem solving. You can assess a situation and identify the priorities and determine actionable steps and maximize your efficiency, fun things. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, pragmatism is not helpful when your wife invites you into how she's feeling about a particular situation. <laughs> and I want to fix the situation. What happens but what happens when the problem that you're facing is so big, it's so overwhelming, it's so difficult that you can't even imagine a way forward? It could be cause for despair. One of the reasons I think we're so tempted to denial, right, is because facing the darkness feels despair. We feel the despair. We become paralyzed with fear. Friends, Isaiah says, be glad and rejoice this morning. Don't despair. Why? Because the beauty of this restorative work is that it's ultimately God's work. He is inviting us to hear, to imagine with him in this new creation, this coming kingdom, is that God himself is creating it. Did you hear how he repeats that phrase, I create, three times? It's almost as if he's trying to get our attention that it's him doing the work. Remember, it's his word that went forth in creation, and it's the coming of his word again that sets things into motion once again. Isaiah wants you to understand that this new order, this restored kingdom is God's doing, that he who began a work in you, he will bring it to completion. He is faithful. Bishop Ken, echoing him a few weeks ago, we have a sure hope in Jesus. 
He is reliable. He is faithful. And that is echoed in our psalm as well. The Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And again, Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, he writes, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You can be confident in that. You can take it to the bank. Friends, God is so committed to your holiness. He's so committed to your restoration. He's so committed to the restoration of all things that he entered time and space as an infant to live a spotless life on your behalf, to defeat death, not so that he could abandon you, not so that he could get you started and you could figure it out from there. No, he is faithful. He will bring you to the finish line. God is not a man, Numbers says, Numbers 23, 19, that he should lie, or a son of man, that he should change his mind. Has he said and will not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Our God is faithful. You need not despair. Does it mean things are going to be easy? Obviously not. Or that we can experience the fullness of this kingdom right now in every circumstance, in every moment? Of course not. But what does it mean? It means that he knows our needs and he will help us. He who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not freely give us all things? Isaiah describes a God so closely in tune with the cry of your heart this morning that before you finish speaking, he's already answered it. A day is coming when God will take the tears that you have sown over your sinfulness and the brokenness of your situation, and he will bring forth a harvest of joy. Your labor is not in vain. You will see the good result of your work. The crops that you plant, you will reap, and the blessing of God will be on your children and your children's children. Thanks be to God. And so we need not live in denial. We need not despair. We are freed from those things, and we are freed also to decrease. What am I doing? If God is doing all of this, if this is his program, if God is going to accomplish it, well, what do I do? Do I just sit here passively and wait? No, we are free to decrease. In our gospel reading today, John's disciples are concerned for him. And it's in his ministry. It's kind of sweet, actually, when you read it. Jesus' notoriety is growing, and everyone seems to be going to him now. Jesus is baptizing people. This is exactly what John would prefer. In fact, the, the scriptures say, as a result, his joy is complete. John understood that God has given each of us a role to play in the work of his kingdom. Right? He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. And he understood his vocation. He knew its limitations, and he was content to operate within them. And the knowledge and glory of Jesus increased, even as John's waned, even as John's joy increased. Friends, as Christ increases and we decreases, we decrease, it changes everything about the way that we relate with one another. As we read in our Thessalonians reading, if Jesus is the protagonist in my story, then I'm free to respect and love those who are in authority over me. I can be at peace 
with my brothers and sisters. I can encourage the faint-hearted. I can help the weak. I can be patient with them all because I'm not the center of the story. And not only does it change our behavior, it changes the very manner in which we do these things, right? If Jesus is the architect of this new kingdom and we're confident in his ability to, to accomplish it, then we can rejoice always, no matter the circumstance. And only then is praying without ceasing seen as a joyful invitation. How then, God, are you going to do this thing rather than some arbitrary, unattainable benchmark? And only then can we give thanks in all circumstances. Friends, that our task is the discovery of that which God is up to in creation, in the new creation, and joining him in it. It's the ordinary stuff of a normal, fully human life. Building houses, planting crops, being families. It's not up for us to figure out how God is going to establish his kingdom in its fullness. That's his program. Our program is to recognize what he's up to and how we can play a role in joining with him. Only then will our labor not be in vain or will we bear children not for calamity, for we shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and our descendants with them. We don't have to have our minds wrapped around the whole strategy. We don't have to worry about the magnitude of the of the situation of the issue of the sin in our life, our labor is not in vain because it's blessed by God and it's done in concert with his great purposes. Friends, Jesus came 2,000 years ago and he will come again to establish his kingdom in its fullness, but even this morning Jesus comes and knocks at our hearts. Don't conceal your brokenness before him Reveal it to him. He is gentle. He cares for each of you. His restorative work is for every square inch of creation and every square inch of your heart this morning. Let us not despair as we wait for that kingdom. He is establishing it. He is faithful. He will surely do it. You can count on it. And friends, this morning, let us decrease that Christ and his goodness might, and his glory might increase. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.